Hey everybody, I want to welcome you to the Before You Quit podcast where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz and I'm your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Hey, I have the privilege today to interview Sam Thompson. Uh, he is a pastor who happens to also be blind. Now, you'll notice later as we talk together that that's an important distinction to make, uh, but I'll save that for a little later. Before I go into that interview, I want to draw your attention to something that Sam and I talk about in the closing of our conversation together. I thought it'd be wise to emphasize it again here in the beginning, and then we will talk about it. We will interact about it together uh, as, we, uh, as we meet. Uh, many of us are in, in the church are, are not aware of our uh, unconscious mannerisms towards people who are blind or, or who have any kind of disability for that matter. For example, you'll notice that when you meet someone in a wheelchair, um, it's, it's common, and I, I am conscious of myself doing this sometimes, uh, for us to talk more to the person pushing the wheelchair than the person who is in the wheelchair. Uh, we have that same tendency when speaking to someone who might suffer with blindness, as, as Sam does. Uh, we might speak too loudly to them, even though their hearing is just fine. Uh, or again, we might speak more to the person who is walking with them than with them uh, themselves. Uh, I mention these so that we can be better as a church community in loving and involving those who could find themselves most lonely because they carry some some uh, kind of personal struggle like this. I, I, I love my conversation with Sam and learned so much from talking with him. Let me just give you a quick bio. Sam was born in a large family in Indiana. He was born blind and he attended the Indiana School for the Blind, graduated from West NASA, uh, NASA High School in Florida after his family moved in 1972. He gave his life to Christ in 1974, attended Toccoa Falls College in Toccoa, Georgia in 1977. There he met his wife and ministry partner, Ann, and they graduated together in 1981. Actually, I knew him from uh, Toccoa Falls. My first year was his last year. He then went on to receive a Master's of Arts in Theological Studies from Columbia uh, Biblical Seminary. And actually, while at TFC, Sam and Ann had a handful of other students um, who together they founded a ministry to people with disability. And he served for over 40 years as executive director with that ministry before retiring in 2019. He also served as a pastor and associate pastor after receiving his ordination from the Christian and Missionary Alliance in 1983. Uh, hey, this guy has a shepherd's heart and a true passion for people with disabilities. So let's go ahead and jump into that interview now. Okay, I have the privilege of being in a room with uh, the infamous Sam Thompson. It's good to have you on this Before You Quit podcast. It's a pleasure. Good to have you here. And your wife is at the other end of the conference table, so uh, you're going to give any taps or anything if he says something wrong and it should say you didn't bring anything to didn't bring yeah, anything, yeah, to didn't bring anything to throw did you yeah so. <laughs> too yeah too far to kick him under the table yeah. uh well sam tell us a little bit about yourself uh, i know you're you're recently retired and um you know just give us a summary of your life and i i always like to ask this question when i'm interviewing people is what what drives you what what are you most passionate about and uh especially now as you're you're in this season of life well, I like to tell people I was born at an early age, and it's uh, a good start. And my mom was there, and uh, good start. But anyway, it, so she can she was proof. That, she can witness you know, it. As a matter of fact, she. Uh, I should told, know. I was there. The mom. Yeah, my, you know, she told me often of her regrets about the fact that she should have sent it back, but then she didn't want to do that. <laughs> but anyway, we. Uh, I, when all was said and done, I came from a family of eleven kids, born in Southern Indiana, uh, in the hill country of Southern Indiana. Yes, there are hills in Indiana. And uh, grew up as, uh, well, we call ourselves Hoosier Hillbillies. We were uh, kind of recluse in a lot of ways. We're just a big family, lived on a farm my first six years without electricity. Just, uh, we were pioneers. Anyway, mm -hmm. I went to the Indiana School for the Blind for 12 and a half years. Uh, from the age of six to the age of 18, we moved to Florida. Uh, born blind, of course. And, and the, the end result was that 
during that time, uh, it was it was a, a very tumultuous time for me. And uh, to make a long story really, really short, uh, I gave my life to Christ when I was 11 years old, but uh, found myself in a situation where I was uh, prayed for for healing, didn't receive mm-hmm. it, was thrown out of the church because I didn't have enough faith. And yeah. uh, I've got a question about that okay. that we'll talk about later. Yeah, because that was that was yeah. You wrote a book uh, entitled "Laughing in the Dark," so we'll be right. talking about that as well. Yeah. Well, what uh, uh, again? We're 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 jumping uh, rather quickly here, mm-hmm. but uh, your story will will sure. be sort of immersed in this. Um, uh, you you went to Tacoma Falls College. You I did. Prepared for ministry. How many years did you pastor? Uh, well, I pastored as a as a pastor two and a half years. I did a little bit of interim work. I was an associate for almost twenty years, mm-hmm. uh, and all this time we also were. Uh, I was the executive director of a ministry we started while at Tacoma Falls College. We started in 1979. Uh, it ended up being called Clearer Vision Ministries Incorporated for the last year, Direct Occupational Training Zone Incorporated. Mm-hmm. And it was a ministry to people with disabilities. And uh, we uh, we did that for 41 years. Wow. So that's the main thing that you did. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah the pastor your, was a moonlighting job. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, <laughs> it, I, it's it, I, I I interpret that as that what that is what you did as a pastor. Right. Uh, you you discipled and and helped others, and they're you know knowing you. I know there's a, a shepherding heart in that. Uh, so so yeah, as you look back at that, what uh, what do you find matters the most to you? What what have you been most passionate about? Well, it took a long time to get there, but I, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I, you pastor, you understand what I'm saying, you try on a lot of hats, you try to figure out where you fit. And mm-hmm. what, what really, uh, really worked and I found was the driving thing that I really enjoyed was, was discipleship, uh, bringing people to Christ and then leading them along. I think one of the biggest weaknesses in the church today is the fact that we want to get the numbers on our spiritual belt, mm-hmm. but we don't follow up with these people. And uh, my, my real passion has been over the last several years, I think it probably started about 1992 or three, whenever we started a sing- working with the singles ministry, the church in Orlando. And there was a young lady that came alongside us that just, she would spend Saturday nights at our house praying. We'd be together every mm. Saturday night. I said, why aren't you out hanging out? She said, because this is where I grow. And wow. I began to understand that maybe that's what it's all about. And so Ann and I both just, really have a passion for bringing people along particularly mm-hmm. young people just bringing them along and and not just introducing them to Christ but pointing them toward living out their salvation and and that's so important yeah and i know even most recently you've had an impact on a on a student that just graduated from Tacoa Falls College and you were significant in in her her life and uh her, her ministry and she's a blind girl as well so this this has been something you've seen as you look back over the 40 some years just the opportunity to invest in individuals so right. it's got to be very very encouraging to look back over that and that's that's needed I'm yeah yeah okay all right well great thank you for that summary uh, yeah tell us uh, tell us a little bit about what uh, again I, th- this is a, a question we we talked about how how to ask some of these questions uh, uh, but you're blind. You were born this way. You said, uh, mm-hmm. "What were the early years like?" And you, you mentioned coming to faith around 11. Um, as you share that, talk about your first realizations that that this was something that you were living with that was different than others. And you you do tell, uh, I think, a great story in your book about playing baseball, and mm-hmm. that was the moment when you realized. Uh, but you know, you're, when I read the book, it's, it seemed like your early years, you didn't see a distinction between yourself and, and others in the family. And that, so at what point did all that start to, um, you know, you became self-aware of that? Well, I, I think in order to answer that question, I do need to, to, to state too that I think you're right. When I was uh, young, my family didn't accept my blindness as an excuse for anything. Mm-hmm. My, my brothers used to take me out in the woods and get me lost and find out how long it would take me to get home. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they just said, we'll be back in a minute, and they'd be gone. And actually, when I was about 30, I went to a family reunion and thanked them for that. Yeah. I said, yeah. that really helped my mobility. Were they doing that to be nice? Or I know, they were doing it because they were be... brothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know. Of course. You know, you know it's like uh-huh. any time you're in a sibling family, you know, you find a weakness in a kid, you're going you're gonna to focus on yeah. it. Yeah. 
And you know, it was it was jovial meanness, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I I really don't think. Yeah, they, they weren't were, putting you in any danger. Uh, at least they didn't think so. Well, maybe they did. There was a panther out there, but anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway, but we. Uh, it wasn't. It was not a big deal. I, I used to go and stand out in right field, you know, when they play baseball, mm-hmm. and I'd stand out there with my little mitt. I accidentally caught a ball one day, which was really amazing. <laughs> but this one particular day, I was probably about five, and my brothers got the ball and the bat and their mitts, and I picked up my little mitt and I was going out behind him. And my next older brother, Mike, looked at me and said, "You, you can't play baseball." And mm-hmm. I said, "Why not?" And he said, "Well, you can't see the ball." Mm-hmm. And that's the first time anybody ever told me I couldn't do something like that. Mm-hmm. So I. I went to the kitchen and my mom was peeling potatoes. And I, actually, my mom was always peeling potatoes. It seemed like, but mm-hmm. but I, t- I said, "Mom, does does God love me?" Mm-hmm. And she said, "Well, of course He loves you." And I said, "Well, then why did He make me blind?" Mm-hmm. And she put her knife down and picked me up and hugged me and started crying. And I, and I found out later that she was crying because just a little bit before that event. A well-meaning, misguided pastor had come to the house and had told my parents that I was blind and my older brother, who was blind and autistic, were the way we were, was because of some sin in their mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And she didn't have an answer for me. And so there was no answer. Mm. Our home was religious, but it wasn't Christian. We read every night. We read the Bible. We prayed. We did all these things. But... You know, I was taught if I was good, I was going to heaven. If I was bad, I was going to hell. And I don't need to tell you where I was going most of the time. You read the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the point was that I, I just didn't understand that point, why I was that way. And I began feeling like I was God's big joke. Mm. Even, at, even at five or six years old, I remember asking God, why did you make me? Why? Mm. If I can't be like everybody else, why did you make me? And that was reinforced at the School for the Blind. Um, the first couple days after I got there, we were marched into the auditorium and sat down and the superintendent of the school said, don't expect us to love you. That's not our job. Mm. And they kept their word. Mm. Uh, it, was, it was a very, very tough environment. Uh, attitude toward people with disabilities was a lot different than, than it is now. And uh, we were kept warm. We were educated. Again, excellent academic education. Uh, there are a lot of things lacking in other areas. Well, let me ask you, what, what is the difference uh, now from the way it was back then in terms of the uh, empathy? and? Well, I don't know if there's a lot more. This, this, could, be a, this could be a political hotbed here. Uh, yeah. I don't know if there's a lot, much more empathy. I think it's with this world of identity and everything like that. Then, then there seems to be more of an attitude of, well, we need to treat these individuals with uh, with more humanity. Yeah, um, you know, there, there's a there's a whole different attitude. You need to understand historically. This was in the late '50s, early '60s, and you know, there were eugenics was still a big thing back then. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much you know about that. Mm-hmm. But, I oh, mean, yeah. there, there's oh, a yeah. lot of a lot of varying attitudes about people with disabilities back in that time period, and so. When you take that and you take you know the the adults that were in charge of us who were indoctrinated by that philosophy, there's a whole different way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, there's a difference in the way you were treated. Uh, so that I mean, I, I don't want to go into a whole lot. Yeah, of no, I I, I understand what you're saying. I think the whole the whole tolerance and acceptance right. has has, uh, <laughs> has come is one of the good things that has come out of uh, something that right. that can also include. Uh, you know the acceptance of, of things that are immoral and, right, and right. that we would disagree with. Um, yeah, I, there's a couple things you shared. I'd like to circle back on. Um, I'm tempted to go there now, but I'll I'll try to as best as I can uh, keep my flow here. Um, how how do you again? This is a little bit of a deeper question, and I I think it's a good one. I think it's a it's a, a sort of thing that we need to understand um, as, as uh, people that can see relating to someone who cannot see. Uh, but I'm curious for you, how, how do you, because you were born blind, how do you understand sight? Well, how do you understand our world? I mean, how, how is that something that you've grown to grasp uh, through the years? Well, this may be a weird answer, mm-hmm. but I don't even think about it. Uh, I really don't as mo- the most part, but I can, I'll try to answer your question the best I can. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I had light perception when I was younger, and so I, I've seen light, mm-hmm. and I know what it is to see light. As for seeing images and things like that, no, I, I don't understand that at all. Uh, my perception of things would be different than your perception of things. Yeah. Everything, yeah. I, I like to tell people, my, my, my scope is one-dimensional in mm. the sense that I hear it, I smell it, I touch it, uh, maybe I taste it. Mm-hmm. I put those things together and I come up with an image. The best way I can describe my perception of vision is uh, from the, the Gospel of Mark, whenever Jesus mm-hmm. took the blind man out of the village and he touched his eyes. Do you remember what he said the first time he, t- he said, do you see anything? He said, I see men like trees as trees walking. walking. Mm-hmm. Now, for a blind person, a tree and a human, there's a trunk. There are branches. Yeah. There are, I mean, it's a small mm-hmm. abstract viewpoint. Now, Jesus touched this man again and gave him the ability to comprehend what he was seeing. That's the same thing he did to the man in John chapter 9, but it was all at one time. You see, the miracle of people missing that is not necessarily what the vision is. What it is to have, to have it or not have it is to understand what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. And so... I can't even picture the way you would picture something. It's it's a whole different yeah. concept. So that would drive me crazy to think about it. Yeah, I, yeah, and and it really, really, what I'm asking, I'm sure others have asked, is is you know, tell us what it's like to to be blind, or tell us what it's like to to not be able to see. But but also getting into that 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 aspect of our faith that. Uh, you know, surrounds hope mm-hmm. that for you, that that hope and longing, you know, of of, of being able to see. Uh, I mean, how much how much do you reflect on that? That uh, this is something you know when you you know Jesus healed as a token mm-hmm. of of what because that you know even the person that he healed that was blind mm-hmm. uh, ended up dying. Yeah, you know, he probably could see his the rest of his life, but. Yeah. It was it was a token. It was his way, you know, Jesus's way of saying this. I, this is for all of you eventually, but mm-hmm. I'm just going to demonstrate that, uh, you know, uh, not just out of confirmation that that's what you're all going to experience, but I also have the power and authority to do it. Right. You so know, yeah, I never I've never been to Alaska. Mm-hmm. Now you're probably saying, what does that have to do with anything? Now I would love to go to Alaska, mm-hmm. and, and it's my hope that sometime mm-hmm. in my lifetime. Which is getting shorter and shorter. Yeah, I'll go to Alaska now. Mm-hmm. If if my wife said, "Okay, for your birthday this year, we're going to Alaska," mm-hmm. I would look forward with great anticipation to going to Alaska, but I wouldn't dwell on the fact that I didn't, I wasn't at Alaska yet. Mm-hmm. I would look forward to that because to dwell on the fact that I wasn't there would keep me from focusing on what I had to do. To get there, mm-hmm. and the whole point is that to answer your question, I I look forward to the time when I can when I can look up, not just see the face of Jesus, but all the wonders around me. But those are not mine now, and I've come I've come to be reconciled to that fact that this is where God has me now. And with that in mind, it's something to look forward to, but mm-hmm. it's not something that's going to debilitate me here and now. It's right, something that's I have to powerful. Focus on. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Were there seasons in your life or ministry where it's been harder for you? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. oh yeah. No, and and there there used to be a, a, a statement in a, in a magazine for the blind several years ago. It's, mm-hmm. It was called Abba Pita, stands for Ain't Blindness a Pain in the Anatomy, mm-hmm. and <laughs> it's those inconvenient times yeah. when blindness beca- it gets in the way. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I would. I, there are times I would love to just jump in the car and go somewhere. Mm-hmm. I go out and take a walk somewhere, and and you just go hike up a mountain. Go do do. I would love to do that sort of thing, but. It's not possible. And there are times, Anne can tell you, if I let her talk, but I'm not going to because she'll tell you too many stories. And so, she's, she's too far away yeah, for, from yeah, the mic. Yeah, we, yeah, and I by mean, the way, we did not recommend that she sits way over there. Yeah, she yeah. chose to. Yeah, I asked her if she wanted to participate, and she uh-huh. said emphatically no. Uh-huh. But anyway, there are times when I'll be trying to do something, and it's just not working out. I'll mm. get a little frustrated. But but as a, as a general rule, um, it's, it's just... It's uh, it's an inconvenience that I have to live with, so you live with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been I've been turned down for ministry opportunities because of my blindness. Things I knew I was capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one church mm-hmm. that that I wanted where I wanted a candidate uh, just simply said we don't want a blind pastor. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, that's frustrating. Mm. Uh, when it, early ministry, we wrote sent letters to a number of the churches in the southeast, the den- denomination you and I are both affiliated with, and I got a letter back from one guy that, that said, you know, uh, God said that no one with a blemish or a disability could enter the temple, perhaps you should consider another vocation. Oh, my. And my. That's a, a complete misunderstanding of, of the law. Well, I, I thought, this guy's CMA. Yeah. Well, how in the world? Yeah. But anyway, yeah. but, but my point was that times like that, and, mm. and we run across that. Mm-hmm. We run across it a lot, but you can't let that uh, you know, short circuit what, what your, your goal and your desire is. You pray for those people and you go on. Yeah, that's yeah. all you can do. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure you could write a book on the stupid things people say. And well, the actual yeah. original title of that that book was going to be "Do You, do you Play the Piano and Other Hard Questions." <laughs> uh, but I decided, no, I don't think so. Uh-huh. I mean, people say Stevie Wonder yeah. plays the piano. I said, well, there's yeah. a lot of difference between Stevie Wonder and me. <laughs> and you know, uh, you know. So, but the the whole point is, you know, not not all blind people play the piano, and yeah. not all blind people can do the things I can do, and I can't do a lot of things that other people who are blind can do. As you as you look back over your your life in ministry, what what are some of the things that encourage you the most, and and maybe help you to reflect on? how uh, you being blind has been for the the glory and and the sovereignty of God. And I'd like to, I'll follow up that question by talking to you about how you've reconciled being blind with with the sovereignty of God and and even bring back that question you asked your mother about Mm -hmm. uh, about does Jesus love you? So I've asked you kind of three layered question there, but maybe the first one, just how, how, uh, how how are you encouraged? What encourages you the most as you look back? I think what encourages me the most is being able to identify with others who are blind or visually impaired. Mm. Uh, to be able to tell them, look, it, it looks dismal. It mm-hmm. looks bleak. It mm-hmm. looks, I've been there. I've been sometimes in worse places where you have been. I understand this, and I'm not comparing my life to yours, but I also know how you're feeling about this. Because even the Bible is written for visual people. Mm-hmm. And to be able to get into the Word of God and say, this applies to you, even though you can't always relate to what's being said, it's it's real. Uh, let me share a story with you about mm-hmm. a young lady that that uh, actually went to the same school I did years later, and uh, I was put in touch with her. She was, she was an amazing woman. She had uh, retinitis pigmentosa, was losing her vision, and woke up one morning without any vision at all at the school and decided at that point that she wasn't going to let that slow her down. So she started proving to people that blind people could do just about anything mm-hmm. they want. She did dumb stuff. Mm-hmm. She, she went kayaking in, in Russia with a tour group and didn't tell anybody she was blind till she got there. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> but she didn't want that to set her back. Yeah, she went yeah. mount, mountain climb, rock climbing and rappelling. She's done all kinds of cross-country biking, you know, just crazy things. Mm. But we, we got to know her well, and we were sitting at her, ta- her table in Indiana, stopped by to see her. And she said, you know, Sam, all of this stuff, and I'm empty. I'm proving I can do just about anything I want to do, but I'm empty. There's nothing here. And Ann and I were able to sit there and share with her the gospel of Jesus Christ Mm. and to see her pride dissolve, her desire to accomplish something for the sake of proving she could do it, to dissolve into something that turned into, I'm going to do this for the glory of Jesus. Mm. And to see that happen is just an amazing thing to the glory of God, not to and to me, to anyone else, but to the glory of God. And I think that's probably when I began to really understand what God wanted me to do, mm. is just tell these, these not just young people, but those with disabilities, look, God made you yeah. the way he did. The, the, there's a world out there, and there's a, a church world out there that says, unless you're perfect and beautiful and whole, then you can't please God. That's what they're saying. Hmm. And what they're saying is if you're not healed, then God's made a mistake and he's not going to rectify it. But we can't blame God, so we'll blame you. Mm-hmm. And and the whole point is, is maybe God wants you in that situation. Kathy became Teacher of the Year in Indiana several hmm. years ago. She was a national nominee for National Teacher of the Year, one of the top four. And this is, this is a girl who felt hopeless 
that God took that and changed it into something totally amazing. Mm. Was there a moment for you where the deep conviction, that bedrock of God being sovereign and and purposeful and providential uh, was significant to you in in accepting this or or valuing it, uh, you know, where... Which I, I think a lot of times can can lead someone to say, "Hey, if, if you know God wanted this, uh, this is His purpose for me, and I'm going to serve Him uh, with, with this." I think, I think if, if if I can point to a moment, and it was not one of these aha moments; it was mm-hmm. just a realization. And I'm pretty much pretty much a pragmatist. I just kind of work through things and, mm-hmm. and come up with these realizations, and and that's what it is. But I remember I was reading Exodus. And I was in, in chapter four, and that's the burning bush. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading this, and, and Moses was finding every excuse in the world mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. not do what God wanted him to do. And God got angry with him. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah. who made yeah. the, the one who can't speak? Who made the one, this is a Thompson paraphrase, but who made the, you know, the, the, the unspeaking, the one that speaks, mm-hmm. the deaf, the blind? Who, haven't I? In other words, I made you the way you are. Yeah. And that's the way I'm going to use you. And I began to understand Moses missed out on the blessing because God said, okay, Aaron will speak for you. Yeah. But here's a realization I came to. When Moses got frustrated, he didn't need Aaron. Mm-hmm. He can mm-hmm. communicate very well exactly what he wanted to communicate. And I, and I, I remember saying to the Lord, I said, okay, Lord, this is where I am. You didn't free Paul from his thorn in the flesh. You didn't free Moses from his... Uh, speech impediment. You didn't free a lot of people from the things that that hindered them. If you're not going to free me, then use me where I am, and that's what I want. And that's that's. Mm. It wasn't a big a big moment. It was just a realization. That's where it is. Yeah, and and that you know that this that's a sort of statement that you're making that I think uh, can be broadened to apply to a lot of people yeah. listening who. Uh, you know, have struggled with what their lot in life is. Um, you know, because one of the questions I was going to ask you is because uh, I think being blind is one of those things that can most uh, be uh, someone's or perceived as someone's identity. How, how do you speak to people who, uh, you know, we will say someone, you know, I'm I'm bald, you're bald. You know, yeah. we don't we don't easily say, oh, that bald person there, but we can easily say, you know, oh, that blind person there. Mm-hmm. Um, has that been hard, or, or how, how do you how do you respond to that? Does that does that make sense? That, that question. Again, well, you, I, yeah, you get calluses yeah. after a while. Uh, yeah. But the, the point is, I, I would rather be identified as a person who is blind instead of a blind person. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like I was on the national I, I was on the national advisory committee for people with disabilities with the Christian Missionary Alliance, and we spent probably one one day, probably three or four hours talking about terminology, mm-hmm. and mm. and and we changed the name from. Uh, the advi- National Advisory Committee on People, Disabled People, to People with Disabilities. Mm-hmm. Because when mm-hmm. you disable yeah. something, yeah. it's broken. Yeah. A disability is something that somebody has, but it is not their whole being. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I like to do is, is when we do presentations, what we call disability awareness presentations, is I'll ask the question, what's the difference between a handicap and a disability? Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people don't get it, but a handicap is a societal perception. Yeah. A disability is something that that's that is an environmental problem that that, that hinders somebody with interacting with their environment, but it does mm-hmm. not it does not inhibit them from doing so. And so the point is, we look at people more as handicapped than with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I refer blind person a lot because mm-hmm. that's the way culture is. Mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. And uh, while I, I sometimes cringe at the people first language, I think in the area of people with disabilities, it's very, very important because of putting the person in a pers- the, the perspective of being a person first and mm-hmm. not focusing yeah. on the disability. Yeah, I, I love that. That's a that's a great answer, and I think a very helpful answer. Uh, and even uh, you know, as believers, and our faith allows us to see this that those those things are are also assets. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, 
and we we find Paul talking about that his strength is made perfect through through right. our weakness. But that that that's a beautiful answer. I love that. You you mentioned earlier uh, about your mother coming to her with that question, "Does Jesus love me?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and she wasn't able to answer that. Um, how would she answer that? Now uh, or later, as she grew in her faith, and how how do you reflect around that question? Yeah. How have you reflected around that question? Well, there's no doubt my mind that Jesus loves me. Uh, <laughs> it it uh, I, yeah, it took mom a few years. You know, my, mm-hmm. my my mom's father was uh, I, I told him he was a circuit walking, not circuit riding preacher. He had like five or six churches he would walk mm-hmm. rotate mm-hmm. around, but he never never shared the gospel. It was a, it was kind of a you know a humanism humanistic type. Mm. I won't mention the denomination, but it was it was just it was tough. So mom grew up with that that religious thing, but not anything real. It was not until we moved to Florida in 1972, and probably a couple couple years after that, that my parents even began to understand what a saving relationship with Christ mm. was really like. the The decision I made at 11, I believe it was as much as an 11 year old could understand it. It was genuine. But I, I didn't grow. I didn't understand. My parents at that age began to understand what it meant for God to love, to genuinely love, and started trying to communicate that to kids, their kids, most of them who were grown and never grasped mm-hmm. it, frankly. Mm. But at the same time that they were, they were coming to a full knowledge of Christ, I also had recommitted my life to Christ and, and began to understand God's love. I... I still, the first thing I went back to was, okay, now that God has has saved me genuinely, I know, I know I have this relationship with God, I'm going to get my vision. Well, I didn't. Mm. And that was hard for mm. me. I, I, mm. I struggled with that. Where did, where did that message come from? It, this, that, that I, was, I was going to get my vision? It was, yeah. it was implanted in me from this early 11 and 12-year-old thing. Okay. I just mm. never let it go. I, mm. I, I just really felt like, you know, this is the one thing I've done. I realize the fact that I need, I need to let Christ have my entire life to deal with me the way he wants to, but he's going to give me my vision because now I have the faith for mm. this. And I never received it. Mm. And, and it, was, it was tough. I struggled with it for a long time. And then Exodus 4.11 came along, and, and uh, so then I, I, my whole attitude started changing toward things. But I remember going forward in a missionary convention and telling God I would do anything he wanted me to do except mm. work with blind people. Mm. <laughs> I didn't mm. want to do that. Mm. I did, so my, my attitude went from I'll dissociate myself with those who are blind. Mm. And I, I really didn't want to even be a part of that community. God has a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sent me to a school in Jacksonville that had, there was one other blind student there, but there were no facilities, there was nothing, it was difficult. He began laying on my heart a burden to do something about that. I ignored it, told God to get somebody else to do it because I was too busy. Uh, went to Tacoa Falls, uh, where this one school had nothing, Tacoa had less. Mm. And it was there that God just burdened burdened me to do this. And that's when things started changing for me. I began to understand that, you know, the love of God is not necessarily determined by what you do or do not have. It's what happens in you yeah. and what he changes in you. And uh, when I started being able to let go of the fact that I didn't have what I thought I needed, that's when he started giving me a passion for those who were struggling with the same thing that I was struggling yeah. with. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. You you talk about the uh, in your book, and you referred to it earlier. Uh, your family being kicked out of a church, mm-hmm. uh, and it had to do with with their expectation of what faith is. The, the, t- tell a little bit about what happened there, and, um, and and also what would you say to those leaders today if you could sit down with them? Uh, well, uh, and this has changed over the years mm-hmm. too. Uh, you know. I, when I when I went forward that that evening at that actually that morning of that service, the the pastor said, "Well, now that Sammy and don't call me that by the way, I hate it. But <laughs> now, now that Sammy is is, is is a Christian, he's going to get his sight." And the whole congregation gathered around me, and the pastor put his hands on my eyes, and people were like, had their hands on me, and they're slapping me in the back of the head, and they're yelling, and they're ordering God to do things, and it's mm. I'm, I'm an 11 year old scared to death kid, and 
this went on for what seemed like an eternity to me. Mom said it was about five or ten minutes. Mm. But they stopped. Everyone went and sat down. The pastor took his hands off my eyes, and I couldn't see a thing. Mm. And he said, well, you just didn't have enough faith. And I didn't know what it was. I just knew I didn't have it. So I already felt kind of put down at that point. Well, they decided to teach me what faith was. And every time I went to that church, there were people gathering around me, praying, teaching me to pray. They told me to, uh, you know, go back to the school and share my faith with people at the school. Mm. And I went back to the school, and they'd already told us, anybody pulls this Christian stuff, you could be expelled. Mm. And I didn't care. I was going to share because I wanted enough faith. Well, one night when I was sleeping, people gathered around me. They spit on me. They beat me with their fists. Mm. And the house parents stood there and looked and said, where's your Jesus now? Wow. Wow. And it was such Mm. a severe beating that I went home and the doctor, I went to a doctor for another condition, another situation. He saw the bruises. I told him what happened. He said, well, you now have a communicable disease. You're not going back for the rest of the year. Mm. And he pulled me out. I failed sixth grade because I missed a whole semester Mm. of school. But that was the attitude. And, I, yeah. and so they had me there. So every time, every time I saw it was this faith thing. So for mm. almost a year, it was this constant thing. And I didn't get my vision. And they finally just came to the church. Used the excuse that we were too shabbily dressed. But mm-hmm. the whole family knew what it was all about. Mm. And mm. what I would say to them uh, is the fact that they need to read the gospel. Mm-hmm. You see, as, yeah. as, as, yeah. I, as I look at it, I think it's either John chapter 4 or 5. And I've been in ministry long enough, I should know. But the Pool of Bethesda, Jesus walked into that crowded area. And I would ask these men, how many people do you think Jesus stepped over mm-hmm. to get to that one man? Mm-hmm. The concept that Jesus healed everybody that he walked past is a concept yeah, yeah. that is misguided, yeah. misrepresented, and is theologically heresy. Yeah. And the whole point is that we set a standard for God that even he is not mm-hmm. going to meet mm-hmm. because we tell God who is worthy of serving him and judge people based on our perception of what is proper and what is right. Yeah. And there's nobody can tell me that God has not given me a call on my life, has not given me an opportunity to minister, has not given me an opportunity to share the gospel with I don't know how many people because of the disability that they resent and detest. Yeah, I mean, even our our denomination puts a high emphasis on, I mean, it's part of our gospel that yeah. uh, Christ is our healer. And I've always, you know, my, when, you were, when you were talking about faith and <coughs> elders praying in year 11, my, mm-hmm. uh, when my son had cancer, mm-hmm. the, the year he was, he was suffering with that, the elders wanted to pray with him. And mm-hmm. his comment was, I, I don't want to be healed. I just want to be with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the elders still wanted to pray. Now, they, I, think, I think we've grown up a little bit in the church. Mm-hmm. Some have not. But fortunately, they did not say, oh, you're, as a family, lacking faith. I, I think it, his faith actually impressed people. and sure. was a, Yeah, and, and the, the, whole, the whole experience of healing, even biblically, uh, was spread out thousands of years and, mm-hmm. and so few incidences. And I, I think uh, in our trying to wrestle or develop a theology of healing today, I, th- I think we need to acknowledge the fact that it is, it is very rare Mm-hmm. That God uses suffering more to bring glory to Himself than He than He does healing. Well, look at uh, him, look at His personal life. Look what Jesus did. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, that would be another uh, another yeah. podcast to talk about. Well, the, let the me say this, let healing. me say this along this line, mm-hmm. and this is important. I, I just thought of this. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but mm-hmm. no, I, I have anointed for and prayed for mm-hmm. people, and they have been healed. Mm-hmm. And so the point is that you know, and and the first time that happened, I thought. Mm-hmm. God, why not me? Yeah. And then I began to realize, okay, it's that is for them, not mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole point. And see, the whole point is we have to accept the fact God can and will say mm-hmm. no. He's not an overindulgent parent. And all of us who are believers will be healed. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. That's promised yeah. to us. And, yeah. and that's that's the whole thing that people need to understand. But, you know, if, if you're healed, then why are you dying? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you... I, I had a... a person one time go up to one of these people who was a quote faith healer and he says you believe in healing and she said yes he said why are you wearing glasses mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a legitimate question yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, uh, again, uh, you know, back to this notion that if you look through history, mm -hmm. uh, someone actually uh, actually researched this, and out of you know three three four thousand years of, of biblical history. Uh, there's probably a total of like 10 years where mm -hmm. there's there's records of, uh, of healing mm -hmm. um, and and again I, I believe particularly in our Western society God uses uh, you know suffering and our continued trust in him during suffering as a as a witness and testimony to people and in, in a way that uh, he, he chooses to do uh, rather than heal us well, absolutely. so yeah um, you the book you wrote is laughing in the dark uh, you, you shared earlier what you wanted to title it but why, why did you choose that uh, that title as I was as I was thinking about the book and and I have to say that I, I never planned on writing a book I never planned on it. I was sharing different incidents from my life with 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 my wife Anne and with my mother-in-law, and and they both pressured me mm. to write the book. Mm -hmm. And and I finally <laughs> said, "All right, to humor them, I'll write the book." <laughs> and you know, so I I and I and I thought, you know, we have a daughter, and I thought it'd be something that, mm. that I could leave her. And and as I began to think about writing it, I thought, you know, this is something. I realize that maybe people who are blind or with other disabilities or even people themselves take themselves too seriously sometimes. Mm. And mm. and as I said in the introduction of my book, I, I, I grew up in an era where people laughed at you, not mm. with you. And and a lot of times things that were going on around me, it was like watching, watching a comedy in a foreign language. Mm. People were laughing and I just didn't know why. Mm. I missed it because I was so steeped in just wanting to get out. Home life wasn't always the best. The mm. school life wasn't the best. It was, uh, I was a fat little kid. I was the kid that uh, came from a social economic uh, area, a uh, situation different than most of the people I was around. And I didn't see much humor in anything. I saw ridicule. I saw condemnation. I saw rejection. And I didn't see the humor. But then as I grew older and, and Christ came into my life, I began to look back and see things I had missed as a kid, hilarious things, mm. and began to understand if you can't laugh at yourself, then people are going to laugh at you. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and so I began to look back and think, this is hilarious. Yeah, this is hilarious. Yeah. Some of it's crooked, some of it was dishonest, mm -hmm. but it was hilarious. Getting into the movie theater for half price with the reasoning I couldn't see the movie. Why should I pay full price? <laughs> uh, you know. But I mean, the whole the whole idea is that you know we take we take things too seriously sometimes, yeah. and yeah. the result of that is we're living miserable lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I I assume by having a sense of humor. You find yourself the, the the identity part of it diminishes, doesn't it? That uh, you know pe people uh, will are more, are more prone to uh, to not even notice that you know and to uh, have have a good convert. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a really I, I love that about your book. Just the. Uh, the, uh, the different stories you tell that are just absolutely hilarious. Not, not only will people identify, they'll enter into yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You would yeah. not believe the practical jokes I had pulled on me at Tacoa. Mm. And I've had some blind friends that said, mm. that's terrible. I said, yeah. are you kidding? I said, I watch friendships. I said, I, I watch yeah. people. People who are friends, they will find a not a weakness in a bad sense, but a weakness in somebody, and that becomes the joke line. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, had, I had a guy one time hide my cane when I was in the cafeteria. Mm. So I'm standing there, and his, he's, he's got his glasses on the table mm. beside him, and his girlfriend is there, and somehow she picked up on what I was doing, and she distracted him. I scooped up his glasses, <laughs> found my cane, left, took him to class with me that whole afternoon. Uh, he had to great. go to class without his glasses. I went back, got the pass key from the RA, and put his glasses on his bed. <laughs> and he had to go all afternoon, but that's the way we did it. Yeah, you know, and it was not—it was not mean. Yeah. It was not cruel. And you know, the whole—the whole like nobody was mad. Yeah, you know, and that—that's the whole thing. So if you look at that like that, and they were mm -hmm. doing that same kind of stuff to everybody. Yeah, you yeah. Know? You get yeah. a short guide, and things are put up high where you yeah, can't yeah, get yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. You know, it's that's, that's the way it works. Yeah. 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 yeah, you you tell the story too about uh, having, and you know this is this is I know it must have been hard for you to have the, the loss of perception of light, but mm -hmm. you you uh, received a prosthetic eye. Mm -hmm. uh, you tell tell the story of, of what happens a couple times with oh, that early on. That was only a couple in the book. Okay. It's happened more times you could ever imagine. But the first time I I went to get my prosthesis and 
we uh, went to see a, a pastoral friend of ours, a colleague in, in uh, Jacksonville, and I'm sitting there, and I'd just gotten the eye maybe, what, 20, 25 minutes earlier. And, mm-hmm. so, and so I'm sitting here, it was my right eye, and I'm talking to this guy, and the eye pops out, and it's sitting mm-hmm. right here on the cheek. And I'm thinking, okay, now what do I do? Do I like reach up and put this in and gross this guy out? <laughs> do I just kind of scoop it off and put it on? And he looks at me and says, Sam, would you please put your eye back in your head? It's disconcerting when <laughs> they're staring at me like that. You know? so no. I, I, I just plugged it back in and went on. Uh, later, uh, my mom died in 2000, and we were at the funeral. And I teared up a little bit, so I w- mm-hmm. reached up and I wiped my left eye because I had both of them were prostate at the mm-hmm. time. When I did that, it pops out my hand. So mm-hmm. I turned to my wife and I said, my eye just popped out. And so she says to me, being the encourager she is, she says, can you imagine what would have happened if that thing had popped out and rolled up in front of the casket? <laughs> and I'm sitting, we're standing on the front row and just cracking up and we're coughing you know because and so my brothers beside me said what's so funny so I told him he starts laughing Mm -hmm. he tells his wife she starts like we're all sitting there and I'm sure people in the back are like what is up with these people yeah that's great and my mom would have loved that my mom loved to laugh Mm -hmm. she she Mm -hmm. loved it but that would have been hilarious Mm -hmm. I love it that's good that's so good what uh, what would you love your first conversation with Jesus to be about hmm that is an interesting question. Well, I probably, I think I just want to say thank you. Mm. I, I I can't mm. think of anything else that you know. I I can honestly say that I'm grateful for the opportunity and honored and sometimes awestruck mm. that he would give me the opportunities he has to do the things that he's allowed me to do. Mm. Uh, I I don't know of anything else. I mean, what what's greater than salvation? Yeah. What's what's greater than the opportunity to share it with other people. What's greater than to see someone who tells you that she'd planned out how she was going to die? Mm. And yet you sit and you, you share the gospel with this person, and she says, I have a reason to live. My wow. desire now is to bring glory mm. and honor to Jesus. And, and to see that happen, how can you not just say thank you for that opportunity? Yeah, I, I love that. You, you answered that so quickly, two words, just thank you. You know, how often the impulse is to say, oh, I would, I would ask him why, you know, why this, why that, but, but just to, to thank him for the life you lived and what he allowed you to experience as hard as it's been. Well, let, let me share a little, where that came from, mm-hmm. and, and this, is, this is one of the most profound events in my, my Christian life, and at, when the dam broke at Tacoa in 1977, I was in Forest Hall, and we got up in the center of campus, and I remember standing there and this this young lady walked up to me and grabbed both my hands and said, let's pray. And my prayer was simply, God, why? Mm. She looked me in the eye and she said, Sam, that's none of your business. Mm. Wow. That is profound. Mm. This 18-year-old kid, I'm like Mm. 24, you know, I started late at school. This 18-year-old kid, my first reaction was to knock her across the... But then I began to understand, you know, she's right. Mm. It's not. It's not my business at all. Yeah. And so at that point, I've had a number of kids, particularly uh, in Bible study, the, the Florida School for the Blind, said, well, why does God do this? And, and my answer is because he's God. Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason I can accept. Mm-hmm. So all you can say is thank you. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, well, great, great way to wrap it up. Any final thoughts that you have that uh, you feel we did not cover or you want to add to I think the only thing that I want people to really realize and understand is the fact that if you are involved with people with disabilities, don't assume, as so many people assume, that they've already got their hell on earth so everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Accept the mm-hmm. fact that they are people with spiritual needs just like you, just like anyone else who needs to hear the gospel, the saving gospel, and to know that there's a Jesus who loves them just as much, mm-hmm. not based on what condition they have because God's more interested in what happens in you than to you. And so I, I think that's what I encourage people, especially if there are people in ministry that encounter people with disabilities or worse, avoid mm-hmm. people with disabilities because they don't know how to relate. Relate to them as people because yeah. that's exactly there, there, There's what even this, this weird psych... I'm so conscious of this in, a, in, in just my experience with counseling. I know there's a lot written and observed about this but we uh, you know for example if you you're with Ann somewhere 
someone might be more prone to talk to her than oh, you, yeah. you know, or someone in a wheelchair, they'll talk to the person pushing the wheelchair. We've got to be super conscious of the the messaging that that gives to people with I just Yeah, I just interrupt. Like, what would he yeah. like? He would like. I, will, yeah, I, yeah, I literally yeah. say he yeah. would like, you know, and there's sometimes people get it and there have been some yeah. people who just never get it. Yeah. But, but that's the whole point. It's it's the person before the disability, yeah. and that's where yeah. you have to be. Yeah, or or talking to someone who's blind and speaking loudly. It's like I'm blind. I'm not deaf. <laughs> All right, I've got to share one final story. You may yeah. edit this yeah. out, but it's a hilarious no, no, story. No, it's it's back at Tacoa, and this could be verified by over two hundred people. Uh, <laughs> We were, you remember they used to serve in, in, underneath Laterno. So you'd line up there and you'd go through yeah. the line. And so I remember I was going through the line and there was this, this girl in the line and I would go through and, you know, they'd always change the menu. It wasn't mm-hmm. the same. So she would yell, yell at me and say, uh, you know, I, I want, we have this and we have this. She would yell it at mm-hmm. me. And I'd tell her, say, you don't have to yell. I can hear you. <laughs> so we went through the line one day and I told her, I said, okay, this is it. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm done. I'm going to fix this today. So she go, we go through the line. She says, we have hamburgers and macaroni and cheese. I took a breath and I yelled, I want a hamburger! <laughs> <laughs> Way in the back, you hear, well, we know what Sam's having. Yeah, yeah. And, but great. after that, I couldn't hardly hear because yeah. she whispered. But the point is, you know, it, that's a very true statement. You don't yeah. have to yell. Yeah. My ears, well, Ann doesn't think so, but my ears do work. all right well this has been great sam thank you so much you did a great job uh, reflecting with me on what this is like this has been super helpful to me and i know my joke is this will be helpful to my two listeners and yeah yeah. or at least one of 50 percent of them are gonna we'll put on we'll put on my facebook page and you might have four yeah yeah Uh, (laughs) (laughs) all right thank you again thank you thank you Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other podcasts or comments that you want to make, please email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. Stay encouraged.